We're going to jump into the word here this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you could go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're in the middle of our campaign through the book of Ephesians. Um, And just to confuse you, we're in a campaign through the book of Ephesians and a series within that campaign we're calling Set for Life. Uh, So if you you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. But before we read that, what I'd like to do actually, Ephesians 4, verse 8. So get to that in your phones or if if you're old school like me and you actually use a Bible still. Uh, you can turn there, but then I want to ask us if y'all would mind if we could stand to our feet. I have some verses I want us to read together, and uh, these aren't verses that I'm going to particularly be preaching, you know, pulling apart a lot. But I just kind of want them in our mind, in our thinking, uh, just kind of you know germinating down below what we're going to talk about. The first of them is uh, is Matthew chapter sixteen, verse eighteen. Matthew sixteen eighteen, and uh, I know that the screen's a little dim because it's so bright out today, but. Uh, we love that my wife says amen because it's bright out. That's awesome. Um, but we're going to read these together. Amen. You're going to get your Bible reading in today. See, you thought you were going to just come to church, but you get your church and you get to read your Bible all in one stop, one stop shopping. It's awesome. So let's read this together. Matthew 16, 18. Let's go. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Y'all sound beautiful. The next one we're going to read is Ephesians chapter two. Um, Verse 19 through 21, let's read this together. Ready, set, go. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, there's a reference here, Revelation 3 and through 4, or 2 and 3 rather. Uh, that's just up there for writing down study this week. That's just for your own. That's homework. Don't you love it when your pastor gives you homework? That's horrible. Uh, so that's just for you to read later. You got your Bibles out, Ephesians chapter 4. You all there? If you're there, say I'm there. Two of you are there. That's awesome. That's enough for me. Uh, chapter 4, verse 8 says, Therefore it says, when he ascended, talking about Jesus, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he, he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Everybody say, fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it's a living and active word, not a dead and a passive word. God, we thank you that within your word, we believe you speak to us. And so, God, we ask this morning for simply that, that you would come and that you would meet us and speak to us today. God, that your word would be alive God, that your word would be proven in our hearts, God, that your word would be, would be so real and so 
so resonant within us, God, that we could not help but hear it and, God, receive it. Lord, we don't want to just hear your word. We want to receive your word, God. We don't want to just hear your word and receive your word, but, God, would you give us the grace in hearing to also be doers of your word. God, let us take the word we're about to hear, apply it to our lives, and leave differently than we came in. God, I don't want to leave this place the same as I came in. And Lord, I am convinced that only you can change me. So God, we ask that you would do just that, that you would, through your word, bring a newness of life into our heart. God, through your word, bring a a newness of an encounter with you that we've never had before. God, we believe in faith that this could be the day that you triumph over that area of our life that we have been crying out to you for victory. And God, we believe that this is the day that we could be equipped, set right, set free, God, realigned in the areas that we need to be realigned in so that we can do those things that you've called us to do. We can be those people you've called us to be. God, transform us by your presence, by your power, and by your word this day. God, we'll give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Okay, real fast, we, we got a lot to cover this, this morning, and, uh, and it's a gorgeous day out, and if I go too long, my wife is going to hurt me. So uh, let's, let's go ahead and dive right in. I'm not going to kind of re, re-go over everything that we've talked about through this whole kind of series, but just to kind of give you the context of where we're at, um, we've, we've realized that we're all, we were all captives, and we've all been set free by Jesus through the redemptive work of him and through repentance of our sin, Right? We've kind of laid that foundation of repentance. We've laid the foundation of understanding that the gospel doesn't mean that you get accepted and then you, you, you pick it up from there on your own works, but rather you are saved, sanctified, and called to serve all by grace. Everybody said? Amen. We are, everything is by grace. It's all by grace. We've kind of laid that foundation. We've kind of seen that. And so then what we've realized from there is that we are called to use the gifts that God has entrusted to us for his service that we are called to use the, the gifts, the talents, the passions, the abilities that God has given to us. He's, he has supernaturally equipped you with talents and abilities, and he has called you to use those for his mission, which is primarily to fill the earth with himself. That we should all be not about our own mission, not about what we want to do, not about what we can achieve, not about what we can accomplish, but rather about serving the mission of Jesus. It's a good place for the church to say amen, just so you know, right there. That's a good one. We're still learning. So. so we've seen this, and then we've, we, we, in this process, though, we've also come to the realization, as all of us probably have individually, that the issue can kind of arise within our hearts that, sure, I'm called to serve. Yes, I'm, I'm called to do these things. We even sometimes have the drive and desire to do them. But yet we also experience a, a pulling back, a limitation. Uh, what we call the drag. We, we, we have drive, we have desire, we're, we're pushing, we hear good message, we, hear, we get excited about it, we get excited about what God's doing, and then somehow before we reach our car, come on, there's something pulling us down, there's something limiting us. And we saw that in Christ, in his body, he has called and gifted specific members to help us in those areas. The problem that we have is that we are out of alignment. We, are, we have areas in our life, they may not even be sin, please hear me, but they're still limiting factors. There are things that are permissible for us as believers that aren't sin, but they limit us in our life. They, they, they limit us from fulfilling that which God has called us to do. 
And what God has done and what Christ has done in his body is he's placed within his body these five, this five-fold ministry, these five, the apostles, the, 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 the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, and their job we saw is to equip the saints and to build the church, to build up the church, right? Equip, we saw, literally means to reset a broken bone. It's to realign that which is out of alignment. It's like what a chiropractor does when he pops your back into place. How many of you know, you know, it, it might be enjoyable to you. You might be one of those weird people that enjoys paying money to go run with other people. They call these marathons. I don't understand it. Uh, you pay good money for a cheap shirt and a long, sweaty afternoon. I don't understand it at all. But some people do it, including my wife. She likes it. I cheer for her. That's my job. And, uh, you know, those, those, that might be enjoyable to you, but how many of you know you might have the desire to run that? You might have this big drive, and it might be great, but if you have a broken leg that hasn't been fixed, you're not getting very far in that marathon. And sometimes we allow the enemy to come and beat us up because we're not serving or we're not doing that which we know we're called to do. We come to churches and we hear sermons about how we should join the mission of Jesus and we should jump on board and we should give it all we've got, and yet we go, but... I seem to always fail, and we can let ourselves get beat up when we don't realize that the real issue is there's a brokenness within you that needs to be reset. We call this equipping. So last week, we looked specifically at the, uh, or rather two weeks ago, we looked at how it's it's two-parted, though. It's There's the the equipping of the saints, which is the individual, personal experience of being equipped, and then there's the corporate experience of being built up through the ministry of these that are functioning. So last week, we saw that the apostles personal ministry to us is foundational. It builds the the foundation of the gospel of sound doctrine through preaching and personal ministry. We saw this, we saw how how the 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 sludge from our life, the the false thinking, the wrong attitudes, the the the, the misaligned perspectives get removed and a firm foundation of the gospel gets placed in our life through the ministry of the apostle. In in a modern American kind of context of a church, we would kind of use the term lead pastor or senior pastor or teaching pastor for this kind of ministry, right? Again, we're not asking you to call anybody in this church apostle. That would be creepy. Uh, just is. Come on, let's be honest. It's just weird. Uh, we don't even call our staff people pastors here. It's just we have names, and you can call us our names. That's a job title, not a given title. So, uh, but but that that is kind of the modern American equivalent. That's kind of the function. It's what you're doing right now kind of sitting and listening to, to preaching and hearing it and, and having it build a foundation in your life. So what I want to do this week is kind of shift and look at corporately what does the ministry, office, working of an apostle do for us corporately. Sound good? Dive into that. So here's, here's the, uh, before we jump into that, if you have your piece of paper or your iPad or phone or something out, I want to ask you five quick questions and I want you to write them down. I want you to think about them. Because here's, here's the reality. The office, the working of, the, of, of pastors, of apostles, of, of, the, of the laying of foundations is great. That can be functioning. But if we don't personally, individually choose to corporately embrace it, it's not going to accomplish much. So here's the, here's the truth. I'm just going to get right to the point, end of the message. The job of an apostle corporately is the exact same as it is personally. They lay the foundation of the church. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 2. They lay the foundation for the church. So here's what I want to ask you, though. When I say the word church, what do you think of? What pops into your head when I say church? What images, what thoughts, what ideas, what perspectives, what experiences, good or bad, kind of leap into your mind? Specifically, when I talk about a local church, what comes to your mind? What do you 
love about it? What do you loathe about it? These are good questions to ask. These are appropriate questions to think about. Do you love it? Do you hate it? Do do you have positive feelings toward it or negative feelings toward it? What does it look like? Question three, what does it look like for a local church to be healthy? You ever thought about these things before? What does it look like for a a local congregation of of believers? What does health look like? What is it? What does a life-giving church and its members look like? What does that culture look like in a church? What does it look like to have personally a healthy attitude toward a local church, toward your church? What is a healthy attitude toward it? Because we've all experienced misalignment. We've all experienced kind of an overemphasis or an underemphasis on personal involvement in church. What, what does a healthy attitude look like? What place should it hold in your schedule, priorities, in life? Question number five. How should we approach being part of a church, and does God have anything to say about us being part of a church? These are all kind of questions I want to kind of us to be thinking about as we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We're going to look at the early church, the beginning of the church, the start of the church, where really the only ministry that was, was really actively functioning at the time was the ministry of the apostles. This is, just for context, you're going to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. For context, uh, the Pentecost had happened, the, the early church had been birthed, begun. They were all praying up in an upper room. They were praying together. The Holy Spirit moved in power, and Peter gets up and preaches. Thousands of people get saved through his preaching of the gospel, and the church has begun. Now, while you're getting there, while you're going there, I, I was remembering an experience I had. It was almost a year ago now, actually. A young man got in touch with me. He had been a part of our youth ministry in, in Montana. And I should say he was a part of the church where we were youth pastors in Montana because he really was never really involved in our youth ministry. I would always kind of reach out to him and always kind of invite him to things. And he got in touch with me and said, I, I really need to talk to you. I said, okay. And so he happened to be in town, so we met. And, and he said, I, I need to... I need to uh, to talk to you about a conversation we had years ago. And I said, okay. And he said, I don't know if you remember, it was a long time ago, but we were talking and you were trying to, you were inviting me to come to camp. It was the second year we had had our summer camp as a, as a youth ministry and you were inviting me to go and you were being really nice. You took me out for coffee and, and you paid for it, which was awesome. And I said, yeah, okay, I'm a great guy. I understand. And uh, he said, and you were really encouraging me and inviting me to tell me what an awesome time it was going to be. And I got really angry with you. And I said, I didn't want to go to your stupid camp because it was lame. Do you remember that? And I was like, yeah, sure. I didn't remember it. But he, to him, it was this big moment in his life. And he said, I, I, I told you it was lame and it was stupid and your youth ministry was stupid. And I didn't want anything to do with it. It was just boring and lame. And, and then I kind of pulled away completely. And I remember him. I remember him pulling away from the youth ministry almost completely. He'd occasionally show up, you know, when his mom would force him to go, show up in the back. He was one of the kids that would show up to youth ministry, sit in the back with his girlfriend. None of you were ever that kid. No, I know. Uh, and, and anyway, so he was saying, you know, I, I, I said that, and I've, I've always felt really guilty about it. Oh, that's all right, man. I understand. You were like 15. It's okay. Yeah, but what you don't understand is that I went to the first year of camp, and the first night, God spoke to me really, really clearly. I said, wow, what did he say? He said, well, he called me into ministry. He said, I was supposed to be a youth pastor, and that scared the crap out of me. So I never wanted to be around church anymore because I knew the sacrifices I would have to make in order to be in ministry because I saw the horrible way you live, and I don't, I'm kidding. And, and I, 
all my friends whose dads were pastors were always broke, and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to pay the price, and I didn't want to be weird, and you were weird, and I didn't want to be weird. And so I just stayed away, and I, I want to tell you that you, the youth ministry wasn't lame. He said, I was lame. I didn't want to engage, and I didn't want to be a part, so I, I withdrew myself. And I and to apologize to you because I've been in college, and while I was in college, I went to a Bible study, and God spoke to me again. And I thought I just went to this little Bible college because they gave me a scholarship, but God put me in that Bible college because... I was able to change my major my sophomore year, and I'm going to be a youth pastor. I need you to know that it was, wasn't your youth ministry that was lame. It was me that was lame. And I, I share that story with us for this reason, because he understood something I think oftentimes we as adults forget. It's going to cleverly be the title of our message today. You is the church. Okay, uh, when we talk about our church experience, when those questions get asked, when we look at that, here's the fundamental reality of the situation. The church is not the people that stand up there on the stage. The church is not me who stands up here and preaches. The church is not our elders, our deacons, our leaders, our core members, our greeters, our kids workers, our nursery workers. That's you are the church. So what kind of church do we want to build determines, or rather what kind of church you want to build is determined, and what it's going to be built determines by your attitude and your approach to church. Look, I can get up here and preach my guts out, and I try to every week, but ultimately how we respond is going to determine what kind of church we have. If you're excited about what God is doing in your life, and you're excited about what God's doing in this church, come on, then this church is going to be exciting, amen? If you're not, and you're waiting around for some thing to happen, then we're always going to be waiting. It's all about our response. So what I want us to do is I want us to look in, in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and I want us to kind of, this, this gives us this amazing little snapshot of the early church, the first beginnings, the genesis, the start of it all for us. We're going to look at kind of what we looked like in the beginning, kind of see if we can't learn anything from our younger selves. Verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the possessions to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. Catch this, please. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. So here we see this, these, we see the 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 kind of the attitude toward church that this first beginning church had, and then we see the result of it. First thing I want you to kind of grab onto is this word devoted. This word devoted is important for us because it's going to bear a lot of weight in our attitude toward everything that we're about to see. When they devoted themselves to these things, devoted means to hold to, to persevere in, the Greek word here, to hold to, to persevere in, to give constant attention or unremittent care to, and to continue in 
at all times. This isn't like a once in a while they would do this and then they would kind of stop. It wasn't, well, on, on, on Sundays when I'm kind of with this group of people, this is kind of what I'm like. And then when I'm not engaged in it, then I'm kind of not as, when I'm not with these people, then I'm kind of disengaged from, you know, I, I kind of get excited about what God's doing in my life and in my church when I'm there, but when I'm kind of at home by myself or, or spending time with my family, that's not, none of that's on my mind. That's not the attitude they had. They had the attitude of constantly being committed, constantly grabbing a hold of, constantly being engaged with what God was doing inside the local church. So we see four things here real fast. Four things they corporately did that produced these amazing things that we're going to look at here in a second. Four things. The first thing was this, that they committed to instruction. They committed to to instruction. They, they didn't just kind of have a passing attitude about what the, the, the pastors, the teachers, the apostles were doing in their church. They didn't just kind of listen passively and kind of leave, but they grabbed a hold of that which God was speaking to them as a local church and applied it to their life immediately. We can't expect for God to do amazing things in our life when we sit and passively listen to his word in our life. If you're not going to engage in what God is speaking, then you're not, you shouldn't rather expect to receive anything from what God is speaking. The, the early church didn't just have a, a passive attitude toward the proclamation of the gospel. I've shared this story countless times here at Sozan. I'll keep doing it because I think it's important for us to remember. There's a, there's a story, and again, when you, when you talk about stories that happened this long ago, I don't know if it's factually, historically true, but but it aligns with what we know to be true of, of the great Martin Luther. Several years after he, the Reformation, he'd started his church, several congregation members came to him and they said, look, uh, this is great. We love this whole message that you've got of we're saved by grace through faith. It's amazing and we're excited and it's awesome. And we're, we love coming here every week and, and we're so happy for the freedom that we found and, and the truth of grace, but... Um, Every week we come here and you just preach the gospel to us. Kind of implying with their tone, like, haven't we kind of moved past this? Haven't we kind of grown up past just hearing that we're saved by grace? Can't you kind of find something else? Maybe even implying, do do you know anything else? Like, is there anything else that you could teach us? Martin Luther looked at them and said, I preach the gospel to you every week because every week you walk in here looking like a people who don't believe the gospel. Oftentimes what can happen is we, we get tired of hearing the truth of the gospel because we, we don't believe the reality of it. We don't believe that the reality is that Jesus picked you because he chose to, period. That you didn't somehow earn your way there. We, we want to somehow prove that we were worthy of being chosen, and the reality is you weren't. The reality is he picked you because he looked at you and said, man, if I save them, the world will know I am gracious. It's not about us earning it. It's not about us achieving it. It's about us receiving it and understanding the reality of the gospel is you can't earn it, but Jesus picked you anyways. And this early church committed to that instruction. They committed to applying the gospel to every area that they needed to. But can I, can I push this just a little bit and say, they also committed to the direction and the leadership of those God put in place to instruct them. Do you realize that there is, there is vision that happens 
in a Sunday morning message. There's direction that happens in a Sunday morning. There's things that are being taught and, and, and imparted to us that if we latch onto will equip us and enable us to fulfill the calling that God has given us as a church, as a people, corporately, when we individually grab onto those things. When we get up and we say things like, we believe that God is moving us into a season of a great opportunity for reaching this city, that doesn't mean we are called individually to sit back and just kind of idly watch and see if it happens, but rather to make make use of the opportunities that God puts in each and every one of our individual lives to see that vision come to fruition. Amen? Now, let me just say this real clear. This is not a call to passively submit to whatever the pastor says. That leads to being really weird. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. That's not, what we're, that's not what we're building here. What this is a call to is to realize that if God has called you here, then there's a place for you to use the gifts, talents, and the abilities that God has given you, which includes your intellect, come on somebody, to push forward the mission and vision of Jesus through this local church. That this isn't about, about somehow you have gifts and abilities, you kind of come here and you, you, you do a good job of mostly not falling asleep while I ramble and then go and find another place to use your gifts, but rather finding a local church where all that you are can be expressed in fulfilling the vision of it. Do you see the difference there? It's not, well, my pastor just said it, so I just do it. That's weird. I've been a part of those things. They get really weird. I was a part of a movement for a while that, like, people would ask the pastor what color car to buy. Can I tell you right now? I don't care. Buy a good one that's cheap, okay? That's what I would call us to do, all right? What I'm talking about is engaging fully with what God has called us to do with all the gifts, all the abilities, all the talents that God's given us. Amen? So they committed to instruction. Next, they contributed in relationship. It says that they had koinonia, the fellowship, this word Fellowship is in the Greek koinonia. Koinonia, though, isn't just kind of like I know you and you know me, and that's kind of we sit in the row, like because everyone in churches has assigned seats. Coming to church, like somebody sat in my seat. Well, your name wasn't on it. Calm down. You didn't buy it. None of us bought it. These chairs were all donated. You think we would have paid money for these chairs? Uh, <laughs> you were all thinking it, right? You're like, why do they buy gold chairs from the 70s? We didn't. A church lovingly gave us them because they bought new ones. <laughs> Koinonia isn't just sitting next to somebody in church and being a member of a church together. Koinonia is this. Really where it finds its root is it finds its root in saying this, I'm rooted in Christ and you're rooted in Christ, which means that we have a connection that goes deeper than any connection that we can have outside of Christ. We kind of hesitantly use the term family of God in, in the church because it can get a little weird again. But the reality is, is that I have people who I am more intimately connected with in this church than some family members I have. Some of that's their choice. Some of that's just the situation. But my, my kids call many of you guys aunt and uncle, respectively, don't worry. Um, and that's the way I think it should be because that's coining they, 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 there, there's a There is a, a reality that needs to happen in relationship. But can I tell you, I chose this word on purpose, contributed. Relationship is the kind of thing that you invest in. It's not something instantaneous. 
There needs to be within this house an investment of relationship. And can I tell you right now, this is the easiest season for you at Sozo to get involved in it because we do like 473 barbecues in the winter or the summertime because it's summer and the sun is out and I have a barbecue. So we're just going to be in our backyard and we're just going to be there. Come on, somebody. That's just what we do. So it's easy to kind of get to know those that God has called. We're about to merge our two locations. There's going to be some more new people here. Everybody said amen. And we're excited about it, but you know what? That's going to mean that we need to reach out and get to know one another. Why? Because we need to contribute to relationship. Next, they celebrated Jesus and the gospel. They celebrated Jesus and the gospel. Where do we get this? It says that they, they committed to the apostles in the teaching. They, they committed to fellowship. And then it says they committed to the breaking of bread. That literally means many, many commentators, many scholars point out that that word the, that article there, means that they're talking about what we do every week, communion. And can I tell you, communion is not the kind of thing that we should do as some sort of uh, superficial kind of ritualistic mundane experience but rather it needs to be a sacred encounter with God. I don't know if I've ever shared this here before, but there's a, the reason really for me personally why when we kind of started talking about the community that we wanted to build, build I talked about, let's do communion every week. I personally was redeemed, experienced the redemptive work of Christ through communion. I was in a, a group of, of believers, and I won't go too deep into the story right now, but it was in a group of believers. I, I was not one at the time in any way, shape, or form. And I saw a, a community of people in an area that was very racially diverse and very racially segregated. I saw all of these races from all of these different countries loving one another. And I went, I know there's a God, and I know he's here because of the way these people love each other. Because in my experience prior, and I'm not exaggerating, these people would have been trying to kill one another. And yet they're all loving each other. And a pastor led us in communion. And in that moment, God, be, the sacrifice of Christ became very, very viscerally real to me. And I, I understood that Christ's body was broken so that his body on the earth could be united. And this imagery for me of his body being opened to receive those that he would save and those that he would sanctify and those he would call to serve. So as a, as a community, we celebrate communion as a visceral reminder of the sacrifice of Christ so that we can constantly remember the reality of the gospel and the price that was paid for you and for me. I pray that it would never become ritualistic for us. Say, then why do you do it every week? Because it's important to me for us constantly to be reminded that the only way that you and I were saved was because Jesus chose to have his body broken, his blood shed, so that your and my sins could be forgiven. Because here's the the amazing tension of the gospel. That you can do nothing to save yourself. That you you are miserably without hope without Christ. But here's the other great tension of the gospel. None of your sins scare him away from you. So no matter how, what you did, no matter what failures you have, no matter what kind of horrible, wicked, awful sin you've committed, the blood of Jesus can wash you clean. And both of those things need to be constantly remembered by us. That I'm only saved by grace, but hey, 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 I'm saved by grace. And communion is the way we celebrate this. So they committed to instruction, they contributed to relationship, they celebrated Jesus in the gospel, and they continued in prayer. The church was birthed in prayer. What makes us think it could ever do anything outside of that? 
they continued in prayer. The church was birthed in prayer and must continue in it if it's to effectively move in, in the ministry that God's called it to move in. Prayer keeps us constantly reminded. If communion keeps us reminded of the, of the dependence that we have on Jesus, prayer keeps us constantly reminded of the dependence we have on the Holy Spirit. Can I just be really gut-level honest with everybody here this morning? If Jesus doesn't show up to the church, like if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up here, then this is just the weirdest club in the history of the world. Right? Like, yeah, we get together. It's like a bunch of people. I don't really know them that well. Uh, they're like from weird backgrounds. I've never really met them before. And I get together and I stare at a screen and I sing really loud with all of them. And then somebody gets up and talks and then we leave. And we eat some bread. That's weird. That's weirder than like the Rotary Club. That's just odd. Like, that's, that's, I was, I, I'm a part of a, bunch of guys, we get together, we read some books together, we talk about Jesus together, and we were talking about this kind of fact of one of, one of the guys in the group was saying that he'd hung out with his, 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 uh, a, a distant family member whose, whose in-laws were, were pastors, and, and he was talking, they were just talking about their relationship with God, and he was talking about the things that God had been speaking to him lately, and the guy stopped and goes, what's that like? What do you mean? When God talks to you, what's that like? And he goes, you know, you're a Christian, you love Jesus. He goes, no, God's never talked to me. I would give anything to hear God speak to me. And this friend of mine was absolutely blown away because he's like, how could you, because the, you know, the guy's in like his early 40s and he's been a believer since high school. And he's like, how could you possibly stay a believer your whole life without ever having an encounter with God? He's like, I hit 22 years old and was like, if God's not real, I'm done. And God revealed himself to me. That there needs to be a visceral reality to your relationship with God. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up here and move, then we've got to readjust what we're doing. And we believe in, in reaching out again. We've talked about this. We will be only as weird as we have to be as a church. We've all, I mean, come on. Am I the only one who ever, who ever brought a friend to like a church service or a, a, a meeting, a kind of Christian meeting, and you walk in and there's like the stuff going on? I remember bringing an unsafe friend to one of these things. You like walk in like, hey, oh, no, there's flags. Let's go have coffee. Okay, um friend's like, what the heck? Why does that lady's outfit match her flags? I don't know. Let's go have coffee and talk about Jesus. Um, we will be as weird as we have to be and no weirder. <laughs> but come on, if the Holy Spirit shows up, and if he doesn't, then what are we doing? They continued in prayer. Can I push that to say they continued in being completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit? They realized that, you know, it could be really easy. Let's just be honest. Let's say today, this afternoon, 3,000 people get saved and join Soza. It could be really easy for us to kind of, hey, we don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. We got this taken care of. That's not what they did. They continued in prayer. Real fast, just give me a couple minutes here. Seven, seven byproducts of the apostolic ministry. Seven byproducts of them committing to these things, doing these things. Seven things. I just threw them all up in one slide so that way it wouldn't take too long. There was powerful ministry because of this. We see in Acts that, that many signs and wonders were done. You read through Acts and the stuff that happens is hard to believe. Like Peter's walking down the road and his flipping shadow is healing people. Do you realize, have you read the book of Acts? Like they would line up sick people just so, so Peter's shadow could fall on them. Paul, the apostle, he, he works a, a job job, like an outside ministry job, and he, he works it, and, and, and what he does is he makes tents, which means at that time not like little nylon. He's like punching holes through leather 
in the desert, okay? That's like manual labor to the nth degree, and he's sweaty. So what does he do? He grabs rags, and he wipes his brow off. Dude was so anointed, they would take the sweaty rags and take them to sick people, and they would get healed. That's not how I want to get healed. I'm just going to be honest with you. Here's a sweaty rag. No, I'm good. Thanks. Okay, amazing things happen. Powerful ministry. People's lives actually got changed. One of the amazing things to me that I try to remind myself and celebrate and tie and I talk about a lot is, is some of the stories that some of you have shared. I sat with somebody here just a few weeks ago who's a part of this church and, and they were almost crying as they said, I can't believe that I'm saved. I was this way for so long and God redeemed me and he's speaking to me and the word is coming alive and I'm freaking blown away that God would still choose to speak to me. That's real ministry. That's the kind of powerful ministry that we're excited about seeing happen more and more in this house. Amen? And we saw that they were generous in giving. They literally sold their possessions to give to those who had need. It's almost like they went, hey, if Jesus sacrificed, I should probably do it too. Shocking to me. Let me just say right now, because I don't want to hammer this. There are many of you who have been ridiculously generous in this house. There are many of you that have, have sacrificed, and we know that you have. And I'm not about to, to tell you to do it anymore because you're giving more than you probably logically should. And there's others of us that God is encouraging to follow their lead. <clears throat> Number three, they were, there was a faithfulness in their gathering. You catch that they said they gathered every day together. They lived their life. We talk about this. We, we do life together in this church, and we sacrifice for one another. Amen? We do life, and we lay down our life. They were faithful in gathering. They were filled with gladness. Oh, that we would be filled with the genuine joy as a church. I've gone to churches that aren't so much. They all look like they were baptized in lemon juice. That's not the kind of church we want to be. We should be happy. Jesus saved you. Amen? Praise God. Four, they were passionate in their worship. This is kind of a given for us. <laughs> You're not passionate. We just turn it up louder. So uh, we'll make you passionate. I love these last two. They walked in favor, and they were constantly growing. Growth for the early church, catch this, wasn't a weekly thing. It was a daily thing. And I just float this idea out to you. If we allow the ministry that God has done in our lives to overflow the banks of our Christian little bubble that we live in, if we let God out of the church building, can I tell you that the life of God that's moving and flowing in you is irresistibly attractive to those that God is moving in their lives, even if they don't know it yet. But that doesn't happen when we just kind of go, well, you know, I listen to the pastor when I'm here, and I kind of kind of, I, I hang around for five minutes after the service. I, I, I have it set on my watch, five minutes. I commit to that every week, and I drink half a cup of coffee, and then I leave. And, you know, I kind of, that's just kind of what I do, and kind of, you know, I take communion, and I kind of believe the gospel, and then I, I kind of pray when I remember before dinner, and, you know, but I, no, that, that, that is not a life that anyone's going to be attracted to. Come on. But when we allow the life of God to overflow the boundaries that we set up for it, Amazing things happen. I asked those questions at the beginning. In light of what we just read, what we just studied, what we just looked at, does your expectation, does your, does your hope for view of and perspective of the church line up with this? 
Is it a place where there's powerful ministry, generous giving, faithfulness in gathering, filled with gladness, passionate worship, walking in favor, and constantly growing? But all we want is a good ministry that takes care of our kids and decent coffee and not too loud, but kind of okay worship. And hopefully the pastor makes us laugh at least twice, but not more than four times. Let's stand to our feet. I want us to understand one thing as we land this plane this morning. I believe that these results, the byproducts, are reciprocal from the commitments, from the investments, from the perspective that they had, from the acceptance of the office of the apostolic. I believe that there is a, a, a reciprocal effect. You guys understand what I mean when I say reciprocal? I mean when, you, when there's, there's a sowing into it and a reaping of it. Like a, like a reciprocal saw that kind of spins around, that it moves, and as it goes forward, it's also coming up, and it's, it's constantly moving. Yeah, I just made a power tool reference. There you go. My wife owns some power tools. I've seen some. There needs to be a commitment from us to understand that sowing can take a season, and we don't determine that season. But there's this verse, and I wanted to read this as we close. There's this verse, it's Amos chapter 9, verse 13. I don't have it on the screen at all, but there's this verse. It's, it's honestly baffled me from the, since the first time I read it. This is, this is the, 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 the prophet Amos. He's talking about the season that we're in. He's talking about after Jesus, after the Messiah has come, after the kingdom has come. He says this, God is speaking through Amos. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper And the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountain shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. Can I tell you, there is something that can happen, I believe, that as a body, when we corporately begin to sow, that reaping happens almost before the sowing, where there's such a quick return on the seed that's sown, that we almost don't know whether or not, did we sow that first or did we reap it first? Did it... Did we invest or did it come to fruition? When that saw is spinning around, you almost can't tell what, is it, is it moving down or is it moving up faster? There's this reciprocalness that can happen. And I want to fill us with a hope, a passion, and a belief that as a body, as a church, as a people, as a movement, we could reach that place of seeing God move in that kind of way through us. Can I just say this? This summer. We can't wait any longer. We can't postpone any longer obedience to what God's called us to do and who God's called us to be. Amen? Let's pray, and then we're going to respond. We encourage you to respond a few ways. Like we talked about earlier, communion, we take by method known as antiquation, where you simply come up, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and partake individually. This table's open to all who've put their faith in Jesus. You don't have to have finished a class or signed a document or said a pledge. If you love Jesus, he loves you. This is open to you. If not, if you're just kind of exploring your faith and kind of exploring this church thing, we would ask that you would abstain from this until you have had that experience. Another way we encourage you to is we're going to enter back into worship. We leave a portion of our service at the end here just to worship Jesus and just to enter back in. Encourage you to press in, not in a passive way, but specifically responding to what God's spoken to you. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to jump back into worship. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are speaking to us. God, we thank you that your word is alive and true. And God, we thank you that we can trust that which we have heard from you this morning. And God, we're asking that you would come and that you would 
move in our hearts. God, if there's areas where we have had wrong perspectives about the church, if there's areas where we've had inappropriate attitudes toward your body and your people or a a, a hesitation to embrace the moving of the leadership that you have placed within this house or any other house, God, we ask that you would grant us repentance. God, if there's a a need for us, God, to, to be healed in areas where we've experienced things in these areas that were inappropriate, God, we ask right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that healing and alignment would begin to take place in our hearts. God, if there's a hesitation to receive if there's a hesitation to contribute, if there's a hesitation, God, to embrace the gospel, if there's a hesitation, God, to embrace an intimate reality and an intimate fellowship with others and with you, God, would you begin to expose in our hearts the cause of those things and bring about healing because, God, we truly don't want to leave here the same as we came in. And only you can change our hearts. God, we ask that you would move within us as a people, God, in power and in might, God, we ask that you would move within us in real and significant ways. God, that you would come. And like only you can, God, you would meet us.